If you have God's word, I'd invite you to turn with me to the book of Jonah. I'm going to read some selections from this book together. Uh, you might remember that uh, we're looking through um, the story of the scriptures this year. And so this morning we're in the book of Jonah. Before I get into that, I just wanted to give you all a little health update. So you might remember that I had some tests this past Thursday. And so far all the preliminary results are good. They're clear. So I'm very thankful for that. Thank you. I'm very thankful to God and I'm very thankful for him using you and helping me. And so thank you for your prayers and your concern. Uh, thank you for your texts, your messages, all those things. Um, I'm glad, uh, well, Jenny stuck with me another, you know, 120 days or so. So there's that. Um, but I'm glad to be here and feeling better. I don't, I, the weight isn't on me this week, if that makes sense. So that's, a, that's nice. All right. Now to important stuff. Let's look at the book of Jonah together. Let's remember what we're doing. Let's remember that the Bible answers the four big questions that we all have. Uh, where did I come from? When you look at the world, what happened? Uh, how can this be fixed? And where am I going? All of us have those questions. If you're here this morning and you've never heard anything about Christianity before, I bet one of those questions is on your mind. And I want you to know that God gives us the Bible to answer those four questions. And God answers those four questions in the Bible via a story. The Bible is a story of creation, rebellion, redemption, and restoration. That way, when you start thinking about those questions, you can look to the scriptures and find at least this is what God says. This is the way that he says that we ought to look at reality. This is his answer to those four questions. So this morning we're looking at Jonah, and maybe those things will be in your mind as we look at this story together. Follow along, I'm gonna read some excerpts from chapter one, chapter three, and chapter four. This is the word of God. Listen to this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, from the, away from the presence of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, Three days' journey in breadth, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And then chapter four, but it pleased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And if that doesn't make sense to you, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to walk through the story. So just hang in there. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. 
Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat, he sat under it in the shade till he, till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that he might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? It's one of my favorite endings of any book of the Bible. And also much cattle. How about that? Well, what in the world does this mean? Well, let's pray. Let's ask God to help us. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you have loved us and spoken, that we might know who you are. We know that creation testifies that you are real. All of us worship something. But Lord, what creation can't tell us is what you reveal in your word, that you created us, that we rebelled, that our only hope is in Jesus, and that all things will be made new. Oh Lord, continue to immerse us more deeply into that reality this morning. As we understand Jonah, would you please draw us into this story? Help us to understand who you are. Help us to see ourselves more clearly, truly, honestly. And Holy Spirit, as we always ask, would you please make Jesus irresistible to us? that the power of the gospel will continue to change and transform us. We pray all this, Lord, knowing you can do whatever you want. So have your way with us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This morning I wanna introduce you to a new old friend. Now you might know this guy, maybe you don't. His name is Jonah. Jonah was a prophet which means he represented God to people. Jonah lived sometime and wrote this book sometime between 780 and 730 BC. In other words, Jonah was a contemporary of Isaiah and Amos. Jonah was given an incredible task. Now, I know you probably have some familiarity with Jonah, but let's just make sure that we understand how we can relate to this guy, Jonah. So, have anyone, has, has anyone in this room ever been given a responsibility that you didn't want? Did, would you ever, have you ever been asked to do something that you didn't want to do? If so, you can relate to Jonah. To press that even further, you have to initiate that conversation. It's not just that you're asked to do something you don't want to do, it's that you have to initiate it. 
And it goes even further. Have you ever had to deliver a message to someone in whatever form, in whatever way, have you ever had to deliver a message that was an honest message, that was a respectful message, meaning it was honoring the other person and respecting the other person? It was even offering hope to this other person. And you knew that they didn't deserve it. Have you ever had to do something like that? Have you ever had to do something you didn't want to do? Well, if you can't relate to Jonah in that way, then maybe you can relate to Jonah in this way. Anyone in here uh, struggle with being stubborn? Um, Do any of you uh, recognize a little bit of self-absorption in your life? Like you don't find it easy to just think about, plan about what you want and living for your comfort. Because you don't want to do a hard thing. You don't want, to, you don't want the responsibility of, take, uh, of, of doing something you don't want to do. You'd rather just not do that. You relate to that? How, how about this? At times, I'll say it this way. As you look back over your life, doesn't matter, I don't care how old you are, as you look back over your life, do you, have you ever recognized a time in which you basically just acted like a two-year-old? Like something didn't go your way, so you just wanted to complain about it. Well, if any of those things make sense to you, you can relate to Jonah, because he's at minimum that. And this morning, as we look at the book of Jonah, I don't want to just introduce you to this new old friend but I want you to know the point of the book of Jonah. And the point this morning is this. Grace is God's agenda. Now I know you have an agenda for your life. I know sometimes people give you an agenda. I know that you probably have an agenda for this morning. You're wanting to hear certain things or listen for certain things. I know all of us have an agenda all the time whether we can express it or not. But I need you to understand Grace is God's agenda. That's what I want you to understand about the book of Jonah. That's what I want you to understand about your life and what's going on in the world. Grace is God's agenda. So let's get into the story, and then we'll get us some takeaways. Let's make sure we're all on the same page and get the story. So in chapter one, God sends Jonah to go to a place called Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of this place called Assyria. Assyrians and Jonah and his people didn't get along. They hated each other. You get that? God told Jonah to go to a place, the capital city, that was full of people that Jonah inherently disliked. And God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, no, I am going east. God, you're telling me to go west, to go to Nineveh? I'm going east. I'm going to Spain. That's where the direction of Tarshish is. He was headed towards Spain. And oh, by the way, in order for him to get there, he went to the boating dock and realized that there was a ferry, there was a boat, there was a transportation available by boat to get Jonah as far away from Nineveh as possible. So he gets on the boat and he's going the opposite direction because he doesn't want to do what God told him to do. He doesn't want to go to those people. He can't stand them. So he gets on the boat and all of a sudden, if you look in chapter one and two, it says that God hurls this storm. 
You can have in your mind the image of a, of a pitcher who's throwing a baseball toward home plate, hurling it. God throws this storm onto the sea, and the boat is unsteady. And those that are on the boat are terrified, literally terrified, and they don't know what to do. And in the midst of all that, Jonah is sleeping. That guy is in the bottom of the boat, snoozing. And the people are really upset, and they try all kinds of things. They get out extra oars, and they start trying to row toward land to save themselves, and that doesn't work. Ultimately, what ends up happening is Jonah decides, it's me. It's me. So he jumps over the side of the boat, swallowed by fish, ends up in the fish for a number of days, and it's there that things happen in Jonah's life. And then he gets vomited onto shore. Now, just for a quick sidebar, do you know what it's like to not be going the right direction and have all the weight and the frustration and the emptiness and the guilt of all that? It feels like vomit. He's vomited onto the shore, and it's there that God meets him again and calls him to go to Nineveh. And this time, Jonah goes. And he arrives in Nineveh, it's a big city, three days length in travel, and Jonah walks through the city about a day's length, and he starts proclaiming the message that God gave him, of which we have probably an exceedingly condensed version. Basically, repent or turn or you will perish. And Jonah proclaims this message from God, and Nineveh is radically transformed and changed. And that leads us to chapter four. And it's the chapter that we don't like to read. It's the chapter that most of our children's stories never talk about. Have you ever noticed this? Pick up, there, there are new children's stories that are written that include this chapter, but many of the old ones that we grew up on didn't have chapter four at all. Because we're embarrassed by it. We don't like to think about it. We don't like it at all. Because Nineveh is radically changed, and guess what happens to Jonah? Homeboy decides, I'm going to the east side of town, sitting in my lawn chair, because I can't wait for fireballs to come out of heaven and just destroy these people. And it's there that he's sitting complaining, and God says to Jonah several times that we read, do you have a right to be angry, Jonah? And every time, Jonah's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. I want to die. God raises up this plant. It comforts Jonah. He loves the plant. The plant fades away because God causes a worm to come and eat the plant. Jonah is just waiting to see destruction. God is providing for him in the midst of him waiting to see destruction. And that goes away. And Jonah gets really upset. And God says to him again, Jonah, except he presses him a little further so that Jonah might see his own absurdity. Jonah, you care about a plant, and I care about a city. Do you think you have a right to be upset? And of course, Jonah, stubborn, self-absorbed person that we are, I mean, he is, says, of course I have a right to be upset. I knew you were gonna do this, God. I knew you were gonna do this. And God says, you care about a plant. I care about a city of 120,000 people. They don't know their right hand from their left. Meaning they don't know what in the world's going on. And besides that, they have all this cattle. Which should remind you in a way that you might not be thinking, 
God cares about the people that are there and them functioning together in their whole economy. Cattle's representative of their economy. It's also deeper than that. I hope what you hear is the four-part story. God created the heavens and the earth, and he created mankind to live on it. And he created mankind to steward all of creation so that by organizing and managing and working with other things and creating and recreating things, that everything flourishes. So I hope you hear that in the background, Genesis 1 and 2, in the background of Jonah 4. But it ends, Jonah ends, the book of Jonah ends with an amazing, profound, good thing, a profoundly good thing, and Jonah's angry. That's how it ends. Well, let's look at the takeaways and think about the takeaways together. Remember, the point of the book of Jonah is grace is God's agenda. So these takeaways are all about grace. Matter of fact, we'll frame them this way. When grace navigates our lives, these things happen. Grace navigates our lives. We've got five of these takeaways. They all center on grace and describe grace navigating our lives. And if you want to think about even more, these are actually layers. So I hope you'll receive them and think of them in that way. So here's the first layer. Here's the first Here's the first uh, truth we can identify about grace. The first words of grace are no. When you read through this story, you need to remember that the grace of God, the grace of God that comes to us is first no. When God has a message for Nineveh, the message is no. You're off. You're not going the right direction. You're mixed up. You're messed up. No. The grace of God doesn't first come to us. The the first words of God's grace are not, you're pretty good. You just need a little bit more. The first words of God's grace are not, you just need more knowledge. If you just know more about this, then your life's going to be, no. The first words of grace are no. That means the first evidence of grace and and grace first touching your life, either for the first time or in new places in your life, it's going to come with these two letters, no. God is going to tell you, no, you're not enough, you're messed up, you're off, you're off the rails, you're going the wrong direction. It's going to say no. And that is clearly what God says to Nineveh, no. You need to repent. It's not that you're okay. You're out of alignment with me, God is saying. But if you go even deeper, when you read the book of Jonah, I want you to think about how many times in the book of Jonah God says no. Not just to Nineveh, but you need to look at the story again and realize that uh, God says no to um, Jonah's plans. God says no to Jonah's agenda. God says no to Jonah's um, attitudes. God says no to who Jonah thinks should get this consequence or that. God says no to Jonah jumping overboard trying to kill himself. God says no in every conceivable way to Jonah. The only thing in this story that God doesn't say no to is Jonah's view of God. 
God, I knew that you were merciful. I knew that you were gracious. I knew that you would relent from doing disaster. God doesn't say no to that. Everything else in this story, God is saying no. When the sailors want to try to save themselves because of the storm, they can't even row to shore. God says no to them. No, you can't do it. Beloved, when grace navigates our lives, the first words of grace in our lives, no. Secondly, another layer down from that is this. When grace navigates our lives, grace is relentless. Grace is relentless. You know, when Nineveh was disobeying God, and living in a way that was out of alignment with God. No matter what that was, we don't have specifics of all of that, but their life didn't line up with God. God didn't move to immediately wipe them out, did he? He pursued them. He pursued them. That's what he does with us. When our lives are out of alignment, God doesn't just look to zap us. He looks to pursue us. He comes after us in the most loving, gracious possible way. He pursues and he is relentless. Even his boneheaded prophet couldn't stop God from reaching Nineveh. God was going to use even Jonah as stubborn and arrogant and self-absorbed and childish as he was. God was going to use him to reach those people. God's grace is relentless. And it's not just easily visible when you think about God's relationship with Ninevites. God was so relentless in his pursuing of Jonah. When Jonah said, got it, God, you want me to go to Nineveh? Thank you, it's that way, I'm going this way. God doesn't let him just wander off forever. God pursues Jonah. So that Jonah gets on the ship and sets sail and is trying to go as far away from God as he can and God won't let him. He relentlessly pursues him. Even when Jonah thinks, I'm gonna fix this by jumping off the side of the boat, God brings up a fish. And even when Jonah, if you will, is in the depth of uh, virtual death itself, God is with him in the fish. God is with him in the belly and he is there teaching and instructing and working in Jonah's life and working on Jonah's heart. And he's there to remind Jonah of who he is and remind Jonah of what he's doing. God is relentlessly pursuing Jonah so that Jonah, you can read about it in chapter two, would even ultimately say, whoa, whoa, salvation is from the Lord. He gets vomited on the dry ground and God says, Jonah, I still got a plan for you. You tried to go the opposite way, buddy, but I, I love you, and this is where you're going. You gotta go that way. And Jonah goes, and Jonah has a message to give. He didn't make it up. God gave it to him. God was pursuing Jonah in every conceivable part of Jonah's life. The message that Jonah proclaimed in Nineveh, God blessed it. God blessed it so that the people turned and they were transformed and changed and began to call upon the Lord. God blessed what Jonah did. God even provided for Jonah when he was upset with what happened in Nineveh and was sitting in a lawn chair on the east side of Nineveh waiting for fireballs to come out of the sky. God was there with Jonah. 
pursuing him, relentlessly pursuing him, providing for Jonah. Any of you ever had this in your experience? When you're just going the other way, when you're just rebelling against God or, or doing what you're supposed to do with a horrible attitude and God continues to provide. And then it's as if God says to Jonah, hey Jonah, um, we're in a relationship here, let's interact about this. Do you really think you should be angry right now? And gives Jonah all the space to say what he says. Yes, Lord, I should be angry. Angry enough, I, I just wanna die. God is pursuing relentlessly. His grace relentlessly pursues his people all the way through to the end. No matter what, God won't let us run away. God will pursue. Another layer to understand when grace navigates our lives is not just that the first words of grace are no, it's also that God's grace is relentless. I read this in a book a number of years ago, and perhaps it can help you think about this whole story. I've modified it quite a bit, but anyway, the idea originally originated with someone else. It's this. When we go our own way, we never really get where we're trying to go and we always pay. But when grace navigates our lives, we always get where we're supposed to go, and God pays. The third layer of grace is this. When the grace of God touches our lives, and when we recognize that the grace of God is relentlessly pursuing our lives, the third layer is The evidence that the grace of God is working in our lives can be seen in what we want for those we like least. So if you want to know what is going on with grace in your life, is it real, is it there? Here's the question. What do you want for those that you like least? What do you want for those that you like least? I saw a story this week of a guy that perhaps many of you have heard of named Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler uh, has been rather successful in making movies for, I don't know, 30 years, something like that. And when he was at NYU, he had a professor that took him out for a beer. And when the professor sat him down, he told, he told Adam Sandler, he said, look, you need to do something different. This isn't gonna work out for you. Acting and producing and all this stuff and this comedy thing that you got, it's not gonna work out. So you need to not do this program, you need to change career ideas, and you need to go a completely different direction. This won't work out for you, Adam Sandler. Fast forward to the time when Adam Sandler was kind of at his peak and he happened to go into a restaurant with a bunch of famous people and guess who was at that restaurant? His professor was at the bar and Adam Sandler took his friends with him that were uber famous, took them to the bar and he said to his friends, his famous friends in front of his professor, hey, I want you all to meet my professor. He was the first person to ever take me out and buy me a beer. 
That's all he said. Beloved, if grace is at work in your life, what do you want for those that you like least? What are you going to do when you realize that you may be the conduit for those people? What are you going to do when you may be the conduit for those people? Are you gonna run? Are you gonna ignore? Are you not gonna engage? Or are you going to find a way to graciously communicate truth? Because God has not called us to ignore stuff, walk away from it, ignore it. God uses his people to be a conduit to others. And if grace is working in our lives, then we all have to think about, we all have to look in the mirror, and we all have to wrestle with, what do I want for those that I like least? Another layer of grace navigating our lives is this. It's not just that the grace of God has these first words of no. It's not just that the grace of God is relentless. It's not just that the grace of God makes us think about what do I want for those who I like least. It's that the grace of God transforms. Now it's easy to see that happens in Nineveh, right? You have this whole city that's dramatically changed and people turn, they repent of their sin. They acknowledge that they're out of alignment with God. They say, yes, my life isn't adding up. I'm accountable to God and things aren't going great or maybe they're going great but God's not happy and maybe I need to turn to him and acknowledge that he has loved me and he sent this person to proclaim his grace to me and that I need to change and by God's grace I will change because his word comes with power. It's easy to see that the city of Nineveh was changed It's right there for us. But did you notice that someone else changed too? I know it might not leap off the page at you when you read the book of Jonah, but let's just think about it and start analyzing the book a little bit more. Where do you think we got the details of uh, what went on between Jonah and God and the belly of the fish? Anybody else there? Um, Where do you think we got the details of um, the reality that Jonah decided to go on the east side of the city and wait for disaster to happen? Uh, And then there was this plant that was raised up, and then there was this worm that ate this plant down, then there was this interaction between Jonah and God. Where do we get those details? You follow me? This book is probably autobiographical. Which means that the grace of God had transformed Jonah so that he was willing to write a book like this where he wasn't pretending. He was willing to write a book about the experience of his life and he wrote the book as is. The grace of God had so transformed Jonah that he wasn't pretending that he was something that he wasn't. 
He wrote the book as he is a stubborn, self-absorbed, arrogant person. He wrote the story the way he did because he isn't the hero. The hero of Jonah's story is God. Beloved, when the grace of God transforms us, it frees us to stop acting like we something that we're not. It allows us to say all these things like Jonah was saying, that I'm arrogant, I'm childish, I'm stubborn, I'm bent toward my own way, I got my own agenda, I have my own plans, I think I know what's best for these people over there. These people over here, I certainly know what the best plans are for me. I can avoid God, I can run from him, I can get away. The grace of God frees us to admit that and everything else. Do you see? When the grace of God is at work in our lives, it means that we view who we are from what God says. So we can affirm and admit our rebellion. We can affirm and admit when we're pretending, when we're performing. And we can let others see that God's the hero of my story, not me. The fourth layer of, trans, uh, the fourth layer of grace navigating our lives is that we're transformed. And we actually become honest people that are willing to admit our wrongs and see that God is our only hope. We can even admit things that we might be radically embarrassed by, how childish we act sometimes how stubborn we are, how self-centered we are, how we have our own agenda and we just want God to approve it. Grace transforms us to admit those things because by God's grace, they're forgiven and they change. That leads us to the fifth layer, which is this. Grace culminates in Jesus. You read in Matthew chapter 12, there was a time when Jesus was encountering other people, and this is what he says. The one who is greater than Jonah is here. Jesus was the greater Jonah. Jesus was actually grace in the flesh. The book of Titus tells us that the grace of God appears. Beloved, the grace of God, the idea of the grace of God, the power of the grace of God appears in a person in flesh and blood and his name is Jesus. And he is greater than Jonah. He's everything that Jonah should have been for the people of Nineveh, but he wasn't. You see, whereas Jonah was instinctively rebellious against God's will. And then when he followed God's will, there was still a big chunk of him that was reluctant, right? He went and preached in Nineveh, but he was upset about it. Jonah's inclination toward God's will was instinctively rebellious and reluctantly following. But Jesus, his instinct was to follow the will of his father. Even to the point when things got tough, 
And when he had to face mocking and people slapping him in the face and putting a crown of thorns on his head and wrestling with the will of his father in the garden such that he sweat like drops of blood, Jesus not only instinctively followed the will of his father when things got tough and when he was tempted and mocked, he still was committed to the will of his father. When Jonah lived as is recorded for us in these chapters, he was so self-centered. He was even frustrated when good things happened. But Jesus, he was other-centered. He actually died for you and me, people like us. That he wasn't self-centered. He was other-centered. He was on mission for his father to build his church and to die for his bride. Jonah, he was really, really reluctant about this whole grace thing. He didn't like it. He really didn't. And he tried to run away from it. And he tried to, mm, let's just say it this way, not give it to other people. But Jesus, he was grace in the flesh. And Jonah, Jonah thought that he could uh, jump over the side of the ship so that the people of Nineveh, so that he could avoid bringing goodness and grace and redemption to the people of Nineveh. Jesus, Jesus gave himself to death itself that he might secure your salvation and mine. Jesus gave himself to the curse of death so that we might go free and have life and live in a way that we can share with others the grace that we have received and are continuing to receive. And friends, that's what brings us to the table. 